On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla held its big investor day event, and we learned a bit about the next-gen vehicle platform, where the next Gigafactory is going to be, what the near-final Cybertruck looks like, and more. friends, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. Welcome to your weekly Ride the Lightning. It's your Tesla unofficial podcast for March 5th, 2023. As usual, I am surrounded by dogs. Daisy on the couch, Zelina the Future Service dog right at my feet here, both laying down, chilling out, as I welcome and invite you to do for the next hour plus as I go through the investor day and more. There was actually some big news this week outside of Tesla's investor day. So we will get to that. In fact, I wanted to start with a quick little bite-sized piece of news here. Unfortunately, in a not unexpected move, further distribution of and new versions of the FSD beta are on hold while Tesla sorts out the issues that NHTSA has quote-unquote recalled it over. Quote from Tesla's blog, until the software version containing the fix is available, We have paused the rollout of FSD beta to all who have opted in but have not yet received a software version containing FSD beta. Now, I suppose technically that means Tesla is officially saying that if you've opted in and are trying to get it, you're not going to get it for now. It doesn't necessarily mean that version 11.3 is halted. However, no one has gotten it. Like there was an initial tester group that got it. And ever since this this recall happened from NHTSA, it's been on pause. So I think it is pretty safe to say that none of the rest of us are going to see 11.3 until these recall issues are sorted. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. It's such a big version we're waiting for, but we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. In better news, in more little bite-sized uh, news up front here, congratulations to Tesla's Giga Berlin team who have nearly completed ascending their production ramp after making 4,000 Model Ys last week. They are 80% of the way to their goal, almost now to volume production as Tesla defines it, which of course is 5,000 vehicles per week. Also, speaking of little milestones, Tesla built its four millionth car ever. This week, it was a Model Y that was built at Giga Texas, and it's happening quickly. I mean, they are, they're growing up so fast. (laughs) You love to see it. So that has been uh, another awesome milestone in the rapidly growing Tesla fleet in the, in the ongoing journey that is Tesla. All right, before I get to the investor day recap and analysis, as I mentioned just a moment ago, There was some other notable news this week that I think is significant enough that I'm going to start the podcast with it before I get to that Investor Day stuff. First of all, the supercharger rollout to non-Teslas in North America has begun. Obviously, this has already been happening in Europe, but big deal here in Tesla's on Tesla's home turf, the United States. It has started. There are eight stations to get it started with. That's the pilot program. And it's uh, eight of them in New York, two of them in California, and all have the 
te- the patented Tesla Magic Dock CCS adapter that's built into the cable that can be easily removed if you're plugging in a Tesla with its, as we now know it, North American charging standard or NACS plug. And if you're plugging in a non-Tesla, you just activate that magic dock, get that CCS adapter right on there, plug into your car and go. And in fact, there have been lots of videos already on the internet of New York and California owners of quite a few non-Tesla vehicles, Rivians, F-150 Lightnings. I even saw pictures of an electric motorcycle plugging in to a Tesla supercharger via the bike's CCS port. I would have to imagine that a supercharger would refuel that electric motorcycle quite quickly. That might be like a five or 10 minute job. And then you're you're on your way again. That's, that's pretty cool. So uh, the good news is from all of these videos and all of these write-ups and, and impressions that people are having, everyone seems to be having a pretty smooth and painless experience with it so far. So that is just great to hear. Also, I want to say thank you to Ride the Lightning listener Michael Hansen for sending me screen grabs with some details from the app about this, namely that access to the Tesla superchargers in a non-Tesla costs either $13 a month for a discounted rate or there is a pay-as-you-go plan for, as Michael wisely notes, presumably a higher per kilowatt hour price. So it'll be very interesting to hear on future earnings calls how much of a revenue driver this ends up being for Tesla. Obviously, it'll start small and, and get bigger over time. I mean, presumably, any money generated from the superchargers will simply be used to fund more superchargers rather than just going into Tesla's already large cash reserve, particularly since more and more EVs, both Tesla and non-Tesla, are going to just continue to hit the roads every week, every month, every year. This thing is going to continue snowballing. All right, the other big news of the week, and for reasons you will understand momentarily, this was certainly not covered at the Investor Day Reuters with another big scoop on an update program happening with one of the Tesla vehicles. This time it's the Model Y reportedly getting a revamp. Again, Reuters saying that Tesla is readying a production revamp of its top selling Model Y according to three people with knowledge of the plan. As Reuters writes, the changes to the Model Y, the project is codenamed Juniper, Project Juniper, involve the exterior and interior of the electric vehicle with a target of starting production in 2024, according to two of the people who asked not to be identified because the planning remains private. And as I will just note, obviously, they would get fired instantaneously. Quote, with the Model Y not only being Tesla's top seller, but also the top selling EV in the world, it's important to keep it fresh said Auto Pacific President and Chief Analyst Ed Kim, adding that he had been tracking Project Juniper. He continues, quote, As the global EV sales leader, Model Y has a target on its back. As with Project Highland, Project Juniper should deepen Tesla's already massive production cost advantages over the competition, end quote. And as Reuters continues, Tesla has asked suppliers for quotes, 
for exterior and interior components that will be used in the Project Juniper version of the Model Y, two of the people with knowledge of the plan said. The projected start date of production is October of 2024, according to one of the people. It was not immediately clear how sweeping the revamp would be or what specific changes or improvements Tesla was looking to, to deliver with the new Model Y. So thank you, Reuters, and a, a tip of the cap again, breaking the news on Project Highland and now also Project Juniper. So to me, this is a bit more of a surprise than Project Highland, only because from a manufacturing perspective, the Y already has a plan laid out, a plan that is being implemented on the standard range off-menu vehicle in Giga Texas, building the car with the single-piece front and rear Giga castings, a structural battery pack, and the 4680 battery cells. But this must mean that Highland is going to leapfrog the Y in ways that are important to Tesla. Now, those ways might not necessarily matter or even necessarily be obvious to customers. Like it, not, it might not be a range thing, a performance thing. It could just be reducing part complexity and things like that. So in other words, again, I would not necessarily expect a 400 mile range Model Y to be a part of this. I think we'll just, we're just gonna see the evolution, the, the gradual increase of range over the course of time as costs go down, as 4680 cell yields go up. But I don't think we're gonna see a drastic overnight change even in these Juniper build Model Ys when they hit later next year. But you've just, you've gotta love that, and, and this is a running theme that you're gonna hear on this podcast from all the investor day stuff, Tesla isn't standing still. Of course, they never have. <laughs> That's never been a thing they've done. The Model Y is currently on its way to becoming the number one selling car in the world. No, not EV, not, no, no qualifiers, no caveats. The number one selling car in the world is number four as we speak. And Tesla is quite simply, they are keeping that accelerator pressed firmly down to the floor to try and make the car even better. You love it. Uh, you can also love this. The Mexico government says the Giga Mexico deal is done. Reuters reported the day before investor day. No rumors or sources here. This is a straight direct report from the Mexican government. Reuters writes, Tesla will build a new assembly plant in Northern Mexico, which it's gonna be, as we learned it at investor day, in Monterey, Mexico, which as Tesla insider Sawyer Merritt noted on Twitter, is about a six and a half hour drive from Giga Texas, so not too far. So this was announced by the country's president this past week, the day before Investor Day, marking a push by the electric vehicle maker to broaden operations outside the US in a deal an official said was worth over $5 billion. President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador said, quote, the whole Tesla company end quote, was coming to Mexico to build a, quote, very big automotive plant, noting that potential investment in batteries was still pending. He did not reveal what models it would produce. Hold your, just hold, hold the thought on that. We'll get to that. But the, uh, the quote from the president is this, this will represent a considerable investment and many, many jobs, 
Lopez Obrador told reporters, saying Chief Executive Elon Musk had been receptive to Mexico's concerns and made commitments on how to address the shortage of water in that region. That would in part involve Tesla recycling water used in the assembly process, the president said. Martha Delgado, a Mexican deputy foreign minister, told Millenio Television the investment was worth, quote, again, in excess of $5 billion, and that Tesla would produce about 1 million vehicles a year there for domestic and international markets. And by domestic, they are referring to Mexico as domestic, not the United States. Separately, a Mexican source with knowledge of the matter said the initial investment will be worth around a billion dollars, and further phases could bring total spending on the project to $10 billion. Thank you, Reuters, for the report there. And on that note, here's Elon Musk talking about it at the Investor Day. Well, let's see. So this is uh, uh, probably the most significant announcement of the day is that uh, we're excited to announce that we're going to be building a, a gigafactory in Mexico. So. So, um, yeah, and, and we'll have a, a, you know, obviously a grand opening and, you know, uh, groundbreaking and whatnot. But um, we're excited to announce that, that uh, the next uh, uh, Tesla Gigafactory will be in Mexico uh, near Monterey. So, super excited about it. Um, now, I do want to emphasize we will continue to expand production at all of our existing factories, so including California, Nevada, um, at here in Texas, obviously, and uh, well in Shanghai. So we, we intend to increase production uh, at all factories, uh, so the uh, Giga Mexico would be uh, supplemental to uh, the output of all the other factories. So this is not, to be clear, moving, moving output from anywhere to anywhere. It is simply about expanding uh, total global output. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be good. Now, what you didn't hear in that Elon quote, but what was on the screen in the presentation were the words, Giga Mexico manufacturing next-gen vehicle, which means the first next-gen car on the Generation 3 platforms Gonna start probably pretty soon. I mean, given that, you know, it'll, it'll be around a year of building the new factory. Uh, Tom Zhu, who's now in charge of, of things there now, is saying they want to get it done quicker than Shanghai. So Gen 3 platform is going to ship before the Roadster does. Now, given that they're talking more about the Gen 3 vehicles than they are about the Roadster in the past five years, it's not exactly a surprise, but... Uh, in fact, there's some evidence of this now. A hat tip goes to Matthew Donegan Ryan, who uh, says he is an event tech advisor, entrepreneur, and ex-CEO. Attended the event. There's pictures uh, that he posted on his Twitter account with him and Tom Zhu. And he said uh, a few things. He, re he recapped what it, uh, he talked to Tom Zhu about. Again, the Gen 3 platform will be built in Mexico first. Then they will copy and paste production to other gigafactories. Also, the first Gen 3 vehicle, to my point a moment ago, will roll off the production line in 18 to 24 months. So hot on the heels of the Cybertruck. Matthew then tweeted, I asked if the Gen 3 will be painted or stainless steel. He smirked and said, quote, paint is expensive. So that 
would make a prediction of mine come true. You've heard me say I thought that the 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 way that Tesla's been talking about uh, ease of manufacturing and reducing costs. Well, how do you how do you speed up manufacturing and reduce costs? You get rid of the paint shop as they're doing with the Cybertruck. So it would not surprise me at all if we do in fact get Cybercar. You remember my interview with Franz from a month and a half ago. And he, you know, he, he didn't give a direct answer to that, but just said, yeah, you know, we've looked at it for other things. So perhaps Franz playing coy there. Uh, Matthew continuing the recap of his conversation with Tom Zhu saying that Tom told him Giga Mexico will be built at the same time as another Giga factory. We don't know where yet, whether that's going to be Giga Canada, we shall see. And then uh, also all Gigafactory architecture, design, and construction is done in-house before finally concluding with Shanghai ramped faster than Austin and Berlin because Shanghai copied Fremont's production and the Austin-Berlin teams had to figure out the structural pack. So uh, just some interesting little nuggets there. Thank you very much to Matthew. I'm not sure he's not a follower of mine, so he may not be hearing this, but that's okay. I thank him nevertheless for that man-on-the-ground information straight from an executive at Tesla. Well, uh, this... So that that quote from Elon there was a taste of the event, of the Investor Day event. That clip was, in fact, from the Q&A at the end, three and a half hours later, because this thing was real long. So uh, the, the announcement was how they started the Q&A, the Giga Mexico announcement. They, they didn't talk about it for the entire three hours. And then they took a little intermission, a little break, came back. And before Elon opened up the Q&A, that, that Giga Mexico announcement was how he opened it. So I've got some other clips for you. I want to caveat this by, again, saying, you know, I look at my job here and what I'm, or what I'm trying to do to, to serve you, the listener, it, with any of these big Tesla events is to, again, give you the highlights, the recap, the analysis in, in, in less time. You know, I, <laughs> this thing was three and a half hours long, so this is not going to be a three and a half hour podcast. I do have some clips for you, but I'm skipping over a lot of, of the presentation. I'm going to give you some, some just sort of quick bullet point stuff coming up, but uh, I just want to kind of make it clear you know, if you do want to just go consume this entire thing, it's on Tesla's YouTube channel. You know, buckle up. You might have to do it in a few sittings. It's very technical, very detailed. Uh, and and each, they sort of had people from every discipline, basically. And, the, and those presentations were each, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes a piece. And, and sort of to that effect, this this really felt to me like the bigger and better sequel to Battery Day from back in 2020, which I did have the privilege of attending. So uh, I'm going to get to that recap, but there's something that all of you want to hear about before I do. And that is, as you heard me tease at the very, very top of the show, what the Cybertruck is going to look like. It's, It's final form. So there was a beta build of the Cybertruck there. And yes, I know there have been sightings of them recently. I've been talking about them. But this one that was roped off, you couldn't get within six feet of it, but there are plenty of pictures and videos of it. They had 
the passenger side opened up, so the doors were open. You could see in the interior, and uh, they had the bed open. You could see, you know, see into the bed. This thing was all dressed up. It had all the finishing touches on it that the that the ones that have been running around in the wild have not. So uh, it, it's really this thing's got to be ninety five percent of the of what the final truck's going to look like, if not ninety nine percent. But man. Uh, I have to say that all cleaned up with all of those finishing touches, I thought it looked incredible. I, I've actually, I've gone back and looked at pictures on my phone of the prototype from when I was there the night of the reveal. And I now think that the, again, basically final version, I think it actually looks better than the prototype now because it's just got the little, you know, the little finishing details. Uh, yes, the, the, the giant wiper, the, as people have taken to call it, calling it in the Tesla community, the giga wiper, which I think is a perfectly (laughs) reasonable name. And that wiper, you know, it docks in the vertical position, uh, for aerodynamic reasons, because the, 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 the rake, the slope straight down from the windshield down onto the, the frunk hood it's all flat. There's no sort of place to hide the windshield wiper on there. So the windshield wiper is in the 12 o'clock position on the, you know, the A-pillar, running up the A-pillar. So you're not going to see it when you're sitting in the driver's seat, but it's up there. But you've got that as a finishing touch. You've got those cool, you know, triangular shaped side view mirrors that I told you about a couple of shows ago. The arrow wheel covers were on this this beta, which to me, uh, it, it really finishes the truck to me versus just the, you know, metal spoke wheels underneath. So to me, it, it, those wheels, the aero covers made a huge, huge difference. Also, so I'm, I'm going to get, just dive into the nitty gritty here because I know so many of you are Cybertruck reservation holders and are eager to hear this stuff. There is a single camera on the front center of the bumper. So will every new Tesla have that as part of hardware for, or is that just going to be a Cybertruck thing, perhaps for off-roading use as you're, you know, going over rocks and, you know, that could just be a Cybertruck thing. We'll have to wait and see, although hopefully we'll find out the answer to that soon. Another note, the truck had a pretty traditional looking center console. So if you were hoping for that six-seat Cybertruck that was talked about at the unveiling, might be bad news there because the, uh, you know, in the prototype, it was a sort of fold-down center console that was going to allow for a, a sixth passenger to kind of sit in the middle there. And it would seem like that is not going to make it to production. Or if it is, it's going to be an option. I would, I, if I were to place a wager on it, I would wager on it not being there at all because we know the Tesla likes to simplify as much as possible, especially early in production when they're trying to get through that ramp. So it may just be a five-seat vehicle rather than a six-seater. Now, personally, that wouldn't bother me, but I certainly can understand how a lot of reservation holders out there would be disappointed by going from a six-seater on this to a five. Now, The other big notable item to discuss was the steering wheel. Yes, 
It has a wheel, not a yoke, which the prototype had. You will recall, again, the, the Franz interview from just a, you know, a month and a half ago on this podcast. Franz was a bit vague when I asked him about that directly in my interview, uh, whether, whether or not the final production Cybertruck was going to use a yoke. But however, seeing what they are going with, it is somewhat hilariously, I have to add, it is a square steering wheel, similar to what you might see on the new Corvette, right? Like there are sports cars, supercars that have the kind of square wheel. And that's, that's what's on the Cybertruck. So it is essentially a cyberfied steering wheel. Nothing in this truck has curves, not even the steering wheel. I will say though, I like the look of it. You can certainly find pictures and, and a little video on it. Uh, people, you know, just zooming in on it on video uh, on the internet. And on that note, if you're curious, there are no stalks on there. So like the new S, like the new S, that means we will have buttons for turn signals on the Cybertruck. There's also no second screen, which you may remember I talked about that had appeared on one of the earlier alpha builds that was running around Giga Texas. And so it, it seemed like, oh, okay, are they going to go ahead and go to production with a, with a second screen, an instrument cluster screen in front of the driver? It would appear that no, it will in fact be just like the prototype, single 17 inch center screen, nothing immediately in front of the driver, similar to the three and the Y. So perhaps that uh, is of interest to you as well. I will say I was disappointed in one thing, and this is totally a vain, like you guys know with my DeLorean history, stainless steel vehicle, I've, I've got that emotional connection and that's that's a, the big part of the, the draw to me for the Cybertruck. The bed of the Cybertruck was lined with a black, presumably plastic lining, floor lining a bed liner. Now, I 100% get why they will ship it this way because you would scratch the stainless to high heaven pretty quickly if you were actually loading stuff in and out of the the bed, you know, stuff like lumber or whatever, you know, if you're if you're using it as a truck, you would scratch that stainless pretty easily. Now, you could take those scratches out, but you'd be scratching it up pretty good. So, uh, but, but (laughs) I I say that while admitting purely emotionally speaking for me, the naked stainless steel in, in the bed of the, of the vault on the prototype looked super cool on the prototype. In fact, you can see video of that from the test ride, uh, my test ride on my YouTube page. It's one of the few actual videos that I have on my YouTube page because I was sitting in the in the the second row in the middle. And at one point in the test ride, I turned the camera around and you can see just the, just the stainless steel bed in in the truck. And that just looked, it looks so cool. The production version will not have that for very logical and understandable reasons. Now, maybe you can remove it so that you could have that pure stainless look if you want to, and personally speaking, I probably won't use the bed of my Cybertruck a whole lot. 
at least not with rugged jobs that would scratch it up. Like again, like loading lumber or something back there. So if it's removable and there's that beautiful stainless underneath, I might do it. I might do it. Uh, you can also see in the pictures the Cybertruck graffiti font on the door sill plates. Because as I mentioned, the passenger side of this, this beta Cybertruck that was on display, it was all, the, the, both the front and rear door on the passenger side were opened up. And you can see that, that door sill plate with the Cybertruck logo and the graffiti font. As I had gotten Franz to confirm in the interview, and that will be the only badge in the entire truck. You have to open the door to see any badge. There are no immediately visible badges on the truck. Uh, and for those of you, by the way, with newer Model 3s or Model Ys that don't have the lumbar support that was removed uh, you know, during this, the chip shortage about, what, a year, two years ago now, the Cybertruck does have lumbar support for the front passenger seat. And yes, the button for it is square, not round like it is on our cars, on, you know, on your driver's seat. So even that button is square, which I find hilariously awesome. Just committing to the whole, committing to the bit. I love it. Now, what wasn't at Investor Day was Hardware 4, which honestly, I'm pretty surprised at given that we've had so many leaks on this up to and including Model S's and Model X's being photographed in the Fremont factory holding pen with what are obviously new cameras on them. With the repeater camera being not only clearly a different camera, but it's pointing straight out away from the car rather than being aimed backwards, you know, to see behind the vehicle. So uh, hardware for a no-show in terms of announcements, in terms of any information there, but uh, Green the Only, our white hat hacker friend in the Tesla community that told us about Hardware 4 with that computer leak that he got his hands on a week or two back, he mentioned that he was able to see that there are Hardware 4 equipped S's and X's in inventory right now. In other words, that you can purchase. So we're going to hear any day now, I, I almost expect to be talking about this on next week's podcast that, that they're out there, that presumably people have taken delivery of them. Maybe we'll have some, some firsthand uh, information and accounts from customers that do take delivery. So keep your eye on that. But there was no mention, there was no announcement of hardware for shipping now at the investor day. Because that, remember from last week, that was one of my predictions for investor day. And, and as I need to do, I need to hold myself accountable. Let's review my predictions from last week real quick before we continue with the recap and analysis of investor day. So I predicted there'd be a Cybertruck production line tour that did not seem to happen. I predicted there would be Cybertruck test rides in those beta builds to show off to investors that did not happen unless your name was Franz von Holshausen, because he posted a picture of himself next to it after outside, after the event, with the caption that he was taking it out for a drive. So Franz is allowed. He got to take a test drive. Nobody else did. Now, I also predicted there'd be a tour of the Model Y production line. That did happen. 
for attendees, so that was cool. The Generation 3 platform, I said it'll be mentioned in the presentation, but I don't think we'll get anything like a vehicle name or what it looks like. That happened. And on that note, real quick, there were some negative headlines from just the business journalism community saying, oh, the, the investor day was a disappointment because they didn't show or, or name the, the Generation 3 car. They never said they were going to. They were clear that they were going to talk about how to scale. The entire point was the master plan part three and scaling. This was not a product reveal event. We will get that. So I don't really get anybody that was disappointed by the fact that the Generation 3 vehicles were not named or shown. I don't get it. Anyway, uh, to finish off how I did on the predictions, I said there would be a possible mention of the Project Highland Model 3 revamp, but the odds are probably less than 50% due to Osborne effect. And that definitely did not happen. So yeah, I mean, like that, that didn't exactly take a lot of guts to predict that one. And then... I thought for I thought this was the most slam dunk announcement that again that hardware four cars are in production right now and as you just heard no we did not get that so anyway with that all said and done let's get to the recap of the event as I said it's a three and a half hour event a lot of it was quite technical I'm I'm not gonna play you a ton of clips. If you want to take that deep dive yourself, it's available on the Tesla YouTube channel. I'm going to do my best to just give you the highlights here, uh, just the, the real takeaway stuff. And I will start with the overall plan. So uh, Drew Baglino, the head of all things batteries at Tesla, talked in the very beginning about a five-point plan that Tesla has to transition Earth, not just America, not just the entire planet, to a sustainably powered future. This is that five-point plan. Um, so this is the plan, and now we'll get into a little more of the details of the plan. Basically, five areas of work. Um, first, renewable power, the existing grid. Second, switch to, the, to electric vehicles. Third, switch homes, businesses, and industry heating to heat pumps. Uh, fourth, high-temp heat delivery. Uh, and storage for high temp uh, industrial and chemical processes and uh, a little bit of green hydrogen in there for chemical processes that need hydrogen. Um, and finally, sustainable, sustainably fuel planes and boats. These are the five areas and we're gonna go into detail on in all of them. Yeah, I mean, my personal opinion is that as we improve the energy density of batteries, you'll see all transportation uh, go fully electric um, with the exception of rockets. That's awkward. Um, but, uh, but you can make the, for the fuel with uh, CO2 and water. So you can make methane with CO2 and water. So, and in you fact, can do that with just electricity. So. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so, in fact, on Mars, if we hopefully get there at some point, um, the atmosphere is CO2, and there's water ice uh, throughout Mars. So you can take the uh, CO2 and H2O and turn that into CH4, which is methane, and oxygen. So ultimately, even rockets uh, can be electrified. So again, my intention is to skip over a lot of these like 10-minute mini presentations within the larger presentation. But this five-point plan is what everything that followed in the presentation supported. In fact, I'm going to skip you. I'm going to play you one of the mini presentations 
within the whole thing. And it's Franz's portion. And no, I'm not doing that just because he's a friend of the podcast. Just take a listen to this. It's a long clip and we'll talk after. So I joined Tesla in 2008 to vertically integrate design into the company. It didn't exist before, it was a pretty small team. It was tasked with designing the most beautiful, innovative, and well-engineered vehicles on the planet. No small task in 2008. There was not a lot going on in the EV sector then. Since then, we focused on constant improvement in cost, efficiency, innovation, things that you'll continue to hear about today, um, while continuing to design the most desirable cars. Today, we produce cars differently than we did 10 years ago. But the end result is always an exciting, futuristic, and desirable set of vehicles. Back then, we only had a handful of designers and engineers like myself, but we had a great vision to radically change transportation. So back in 2008, where we were designing Model S, we didn't have a factory. In fact, we had a really small engineering team and a tiny design team. But that allowed design to lead all the conversations. It let us innovate forward-thinking ideas, like how do you fit seven people into a sedan? Or how do you make door handles disappear into the, into the doors? Or putting a huge touchscreen into the center of the, the vehicle, something that had never been done before. And then we won Motor Trend Car of the Year. Yes, and we won Motor Trend Car of the Year in 2013. Our first, our first you know, great award, first car. Um, pretty, good, pretty good start. Kind of a home run, I think. Um, but that, that whole process resulted in a linear process that you see on the screen. We, we designed first, then we engineered, and then we figured out how to manufacture it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. When we were designing the car together, we didn't even know where we were going to build it. And so we came up with... I didn't even know Lars when we were designing <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, we didn't, so once we got Fremont, we were very fortunate, and we figured out the manufacturing solutions, sort of like we were flying a plane and putting the wings and building the engine at the same time. So we knew we had to do better. Yeah, we knew we had to be better in order to scale. And as part of the master plan that you've read, Model 3 needed to be a smaller, more efficient, and more affordable version of Model S. But it had to be equally great. It had to have all the things that people loved in their Model S or Model X, and but be much more affordable. And so we, we approached the process a little bit differently than the first time around. Now we had teams that we all worked together, so we were able to combine design, engineering, and manufacturing process all at the same time. But somewhere along the way, we changed the manufacturing process to be fully automated. And so we leaned into this whole new way of manufacturing a car, but we had already engineered it. So things didn't quite go as well as planned. It was an amazing product, but it landed us in production hell. Many of us who lived through that carry those battle scars. It was a great idea, but it wasn't the right timing. Like Franz said, automating something that we designed to be built manually is super hard. And we have many, many failed examples of that at the Fremont factory that we ripped out. But some of them eventually still work. This is one I actually worked on with a small team of engineers. It's still running today. And some of the engineers that came by said we couldn't do it or no longer with the company. But it's running, and it's running faster than ever. <laughs> so we kind of self-imposed constraints on the design when we were doing it to be built manually, and we really didn't think about it. But despite all that, Model 3 is the best-selling EV ever. Yeah, and Model Y, which is derived from Model 3, is about to pass that. 
But we knew we had to improve the process further. And with Cybertruck, we designed a vehicle around a vision that actually started with the manufacturing process. And in this case, the materials dictated the design. Forming full hard stainless steel isn't rocket science, but it sure isn't easy. And it limited the way we could do it. Yeah, absolutely. It really forced us to think about designing something um, in, in a way that you couldn't no normally stamp panels, you couldn't form them in a traditional way. So you ended up with very linear um, bending processes that are just not in automotive kind of language of manufacturing today. But it, it actually created a very efficient and process and one of the most dynamic designs ever, I believe. It's definitely something that's going to change the road landscape. Hopefully you guys saw it down there and you experienced it. It's definitely real. Those are real trucks. We're on our way to build them. But what that stainless steel opportunity did for us, it has let us rethink the factory footprint. We don't stamp those. That's a huge part of it. We don't even paint them. So our footprint got smaller, and we started to think about innovative ways to take those constraints and make great products. But that constraint didn't really change the end result of the truck. Um, it's a super dynamic truck, and it has all the functionality you would expect out of any of the other competitive trucks. And the best thing about it, it's coming this year. So ideally, after all that, we would design, engineer, manufacture, and plan for automation happening together. It gives us the opportunity to question requirements. This is something that is fundamentally only available at Tesla. In the places I used to work and the top manufacturing companies in the world, they don't sit together. Yeah, we are one I, team. Nowhere I know has all these teams together thinking about these processes from the very beginning. In fact, all of those engineering teams, manufacturing, design, automation, they're all in one org. They all report to one person. We can't point fingers at each other, so we have to solve them together, which is the best way to innovate. A traditional way of making a vehicle is this. You stamp it, you do build a body in white, you paint it, and you do final assembly. And what's interesting is these shops are dictated by the, the, the organizational structures that exist, and they're dictated by the boundaries that exist in the factories that are laid out. If something goes wrong in final assembly, you block the whole line, and you end up with buffering in between. This is at the tail end of its manufacturing optimization. Henry Ford first invented this assembly line in 1922. It's been 100 years, and it's really hard to make a change after 100 years. And when you watch it happen, it's actually really silly to a guy like me. You take all these stamp panels, you put them together, then you put them in a framing station, you build a body that looks something like a car, you put the doors on, and then you paint them. Once you get the color, you take the doors off, and then you start putting the interior inside the car. It comes in through the openings that already exist. I wish it went in like this big piece like yeah. this, but there's actually people coming in and out of the car. There's awkward you know, movements. Then we lift the car up. We put stuff from underneath it. We put it down. Then we put the seats in the car. And finally, we close it all out with glass, and we bring those doors that went away for a trip, and we put them back in the car. Most of the time, we're doing this with a big, giant car and moving it and doing really nothing to it at all. What's funny, though, in this kind of whole process is that just recently, Toyota just called this an engineering work of art. True. <laughs> the Model Y. That, that was humbling, but at Tesla, it's not good enough. If we're going to scale the way we want to do, 
we have to rethink manufacturing again. It's part of the master plan. We have to make another step change in cost. We started this on Model Y when we made these huge giga castings, and we deleted hundreds of parts. We simplified assembly with the Model Y structural battery, where we decided the floor should be a part of the car. The battery is the floor. We put the seats in the interior on the battery, and we bring it up through a big open hole, and we assemble it. And this allowed us to do things in parallel, fully rethinking the process and reducing the final assembly line by about 10%. And we thought maybe we could do this other places. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, the, the, the constraints become part of the solution rather than a problem. So when you think about what I'm trying to say, I really want to hammer this home. When you have a car that's about five meters long and you have people working around it like we did in Model 3, and we change that to this process where we take different parts of the car and we can do more at the same time, like we did with the Model Y structural battery pack. What you see here is us doing that on the front part of the vehicle or the rear part of the vehicle. That means we can get more people working on the car, or robots, working on it at the same time. That means we have better operator density, less time doing nothing. I call that space-time efficiency. It has nothing to do with quantum mechanics. We can have that conversation later. But we get 44% more operator density, which means more work, less time walking back to the station, 30% improvement in space-time efficiency. And because we're not building it in and out of the car with those slow movements of those robots I showed you from production hell, when we go to automate it, it's going to be a lot easier. In the end, that will probably look something like this, where we balance parallel and series manufacturing in a way where we only do things that are necessary, with a much shorter final line blocking a lot less of the entire rest of the factory so we can optimize material flow using the best practices. And what that means, it's going to look something like this where we build all the sides of the cars independently, we only paint what we need to, and then we assemble the parts of the car once and only once. We put them where they need to go. The interior is attached from a bottom-up or a top-down uh, strategy, so there's more access for those robots and people. We aren't moving heavy objects around and doing nothing to it, and it means we're doing more work on the car more of the time. And then, when we take all of these tested sub-assemblies and we put them together, we finally assemble the car only one time, putting the sides on with all of their parts to a front and rear that was already assembled, carrying the floor in with the seats, and finally boxing it out with the doors one time, just like Cybertruck. So in the end, you get the same car, but it's not going to be a Model Y. Yeah, this is, not, yeah. This is a Model Y for illustration, not the next-gen vehicle. In the end, what does that mean? To increase the scale and adoption of electric vehicles on the orders of magnitude that we just showed you, we have to make constraints part of the solution. It leads us to greater than 40% reduction in footprint, which means we can build factories faster with less capex and more output per, per unit. Faster, less capex, more output per unit dollar. Zach's going to go into more details on this later, but it also means through this innovation and some of what my other engineering colleagues are going to talk to you about in the future, will reduce costs as much as 50%. This is the two-for-one concept you hear me and Elon talking about on earnings calls. Yeah, so I think our track record proves that we can deliver the best cars, and we deliver the best cars in spite of, because of these constraints. And I'd love to really show you what I mean and unveil the next-gen car. 
but you're going to have to trust me on that until a later date. Um, just, and I promise we'll always be delivering exciting, compelling, and desirable vehicles, like, as we always have. Have we ever not? We yeah. always do. So the reason I chose to play this, as opposed to any of the other segments of Investor Day, is because I thought it was a good summary of the stuff that, I mean, I'll say I care about. I guess I, I, hopefully you care about it too, but as somebody that makes a Tesla podcast and you as somebody that listens to it, design, design. I'm so interested in design. It's why I've wanted to interview Franz. I've had him on here twice. How these cars look, it matters uh, to me. And then you heard Franz and Lars explain how design ties in with engineering and ties in with manufacturing. I know that was a super long clip, almost 12 minutes out of this entire three and a half hour presentation but I just thought that was the best section that crystallized the whole thing to me really well. And again, Gen 3 Cyber, stainless steel for Gen 3 platform. Listen, you know, you heard the Tom Zhu quotes from, from earlier and from what you just heard from Lars and, and Franz there. I just would not be surprised in the slightest if we are about to get Cybercar. And if we do... I will be first in line. I will, I will wave happy goodbye to the spirit of adventure, my Model 3 from 2018 that has been such an amazing car for me, but I will be completely unable to resist Cybercar if that ends up being a real thing. Anyway, I do have a few more clips for you from the Q&A because that had some meaty, good information in it. Uh, you know, just smaller, direct stuff. So I'll get to that in a second. But before I do, I just thought, again, having gone through the rest of the three and a half hour thing, I thought I would just throw out a few quick nuggets for you from the rest of the presentation. Number one, the next gen drivetrain won't use any rare earth elements at all. That is cool. Nugget number two, the Model 3 is four times more efficient well-to-wheel than the Toyota Corolla, and it can drive one mile on the same amount of energy needed to cook a bowl of pasta. I thought that was just a fascinating little nugget about efficiency that was, that was uh, mentioned in the presentation. Speaking of the Model 3, item number three here, the cost of building the Model 3 has been reduced 30% since my car was built in 2018. That is impressive. Next up, V4 superchargers have already started to be under construction in Europe, which is interesting because I thought we were told that the Cybertruck, which won't be coming to Europe, would be the first passenger vehicle. Of course, I'm leaving out the semi. It's got its own V4. It's got its own, the megacharger, but... The Cybertruck will not be coming to Europe to utilize them. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but Tesla pressing forward there. Two more little quick things. One, Tesla Electric. Yes, as a utility provider, Tesla Electric is rolling out in Texas. And if you sign up for Tesla Electric, and I am absolutely talking to my Texas listeners right now, listen to this, you can choose a plan that bills you $30 per month for unlimited overnight charging. Now, this is due to the amount of wind power generated in Texas at night. Tesla wants 
They want you to use that renewable power. That's insane. A dollar a day for unlimited overnight charging. You really can't beat that. That is impressive. I mean, so you could drive 300 miles a day and it'd cost you effectively a dollar for that entire 300 mile run. That is, that is wild. And then the last little quick hit before I get to some clips from the Q&A, Tesla is now up to 129,000 employees. 60% of those are in the U.S. Now, presumably that percentage of U.S. employees will dip a bit as Tesla goes more and more global with, for instance, Giga Mexico and other ventures that we don't even know about yet whether it's Giga Canada and whatever the one that Tom Zhu said is going to be built in parallel with Giga Mexico. Now, one of my New Year's predictions uh, back on Jan- the January 1st episode was that Giga Mexico and Giga Canada would be announced very quickly within each other, like if, you know, within like two weeks of each other. So I'm on the clock now with this prediction. We will see if we get another, whether it's Giga Canada or somewhere else, we will see if we get another Gigafactory announcement here anytime in the next couple of weeks. Okay, let's get to some highlights from the Q&A. Here is Elon as well as Lars speaking about the different Model Y variants from a manufacturing perspective. Now, I'm not talking about standard range dual motor, you know, long range dual motor and performance. I'm talking about the different versions that are built from a, from a manufacturing perspective. Well, I'll talk a little bit about that, but um, it, it, broadly speaking, the most profound architectural changes will be in future vehicles. Um, retooling a factory means bringing the factory down for an extended period of time. And uh, that's, that would prefer not to do that, I think. Um, but, we, but there are variants in, in how Model Y is produced. So we've got uh, variants where there's a rear casting, uh, where there's a front and rear casting, and we have the uh, structural battery pack. Um, and then there are a number of smaller improvements that occur. But um, I think for, for really, really big changes, those would be future vehicles. Um, yeah, I don't know. You guys want to add? Lars, maybe? Me? Yeah. So, as, I mean, as far as, yeah, I agree with you 100%, Elon. It's, it's, it's really easy to put innovations in new vehicles, but long term, we'll obviously bring them back. We've always talked about that, but we don't want to take our factories down. As far as the timeline goes, um, you know, we're going to go as fast as we can left to right. Uh, as always, you know, Elon alluded to the fact that um, Mexico will build our next-gen vehicle, but we'll also be doing that in our other plants. Um, and so it's really about getting them all up and running. Um, we expect that to be a huge volume product, and um, yeah, we're going to move that quickly over the next couple of years. When you couple this with the Reuters exclusive that I talked about near the top of the podcast, Project Juniper, Elon and Lars' statements there make a lot more sense, Right. When Lars says they'll eventually always bring the changes back to the older versions of a car at other factories, this means Project Juniper for the Model Y, which you heard Elon reference the three different manufacturing configurations 
of the car. So this this is this has got to be what they're talking about here. And certainly no surprise that the Gen 3 platform car is going to be built at more than just Giga Mexico. Uh, in order to achieve the volumes that Tesla's laid out for that car. I mean, remember, Gen 3 is supposed to be higher volume than all of the other cars combined. 3 plus Y plus S plus X plus Cybertruck. And to do that, they're going to need a number of factories involved. Giga Mexico is going to provide cars for Mexico and Latin America. You got to figure... Fremont still, Fremont seems maxed out, even if Generation 3 is supposed to only take up half of the factory footprint compared to a 3 or a Y. But Shanghai seems like, yes, they'll probably build Gen 3 cars there. Texas, almost definitely. Berlin, almost definitely as well. So that's that's maybe four factories that could be building the Gen 3 cars, plus the fifth one would be the other unannounced new one that's going to go up alongside, or, you know, in the same timeline as Giga Mexico. Seems like a good start. All right, how about Tesla getting into the lithium mining or refining business? Well, they are doing so reluctantly. Well, we're, we're going to address whatever we think the limiting factor is at any point in time. Uh, so we, we would like to do the least amount possible uh, so we don't want to get into the mining or refining sector. We will do that if we have to. Um, I, I do think the, the, the focus really should be on refining capacity. Um, you know, do, we need to make just a, a very uh, giant amount of anode, cathode, lithium, lithium hydroxide, lithium, lithium carbonate. It, it, it's really the refining capacity that is uh, the, the, the biggest choke point. Um, yeah, so that's, that's why we're building a lithium refinery in Corpus Christi. Uh, in terms of uh, the mining companies that are out there uh, and looking at that part of the value chain, so we do have large suppliers of lithium right now, and we they are aware of you know, how we're approaching the Corpus refinery and the technologies we're trying there. And the reason we're making them aware of it is because we think they're fundamentally more scalable. And as we prove them out, we plan to, to share that with them. Because as Elon says, like, it's not really like we want to do these things. We're doing them because it's not happening fast enough. So if, if we can prove that it can be done faster, the intention is to transfer that knowledge to our, our large, our current suppliers. And the same is actually true. It was actually a clay process that, that we were, were playing with and we continue to work on. Same is true on that. So we've worked with our suppliers as well on trials and, and we're, we're sharing knowledge there. And the intention is just to help the whole world do this better. Uh, and, and ultimately the this here is getting the lithium out or whatever it is out of the ore. And we're obviously building a uh, cathode processing uh, facility just adjacent to this, this building. So a little further down the road, you'll see another large construction. That's for uh, cathode refining. Um, but we, like I said, we'd really prefer if others did that. Uh, we're doing it because we have to, not because we want to. Yeah, and, and in that case, there just isn't really any large-scale cathode production in the United States, and it needed to be done. 
Um, and, and again, if we're going to do it, we're going to try to do it uh, from a first principles perspective. So we're, we have tried a bunch of new things there. We're confident that they will work. And as they prove out, again, we want to bring them back to our suppliers so that they can uh, build new facilities more quickly with less investment. Well, you heard Elon and Drew there basically saying that they feel like they have to do it in order to grow as fast as they are trying to grow. Call it, if you will, reluctant vertical integration in this case. But hey, if they can learn from it and make themselves better, and if they really do pass along any wisdom gain to their existing suppliers, that's a win for everybody. Next clip, how many Tesla models will the company make? How many different cars? Plus, there's another topic covered in here that will be of interest to many of you. It is bi-directional charging. On bi-directional, um, it, it, uh, it, it wasn't like a conscious decision to not do it. It just wasn't a priority at the time, I think is maybe the way to think about it. Um, as we looked, as we continue to improve the power electronics in our vehicle, um, we've found ways to bring bi-directionality while actually reducing cost of power electronics in the vehicle. And as, as at all things Tesla, the, the goal is usually to get more for less. Um, and so uh, we are in the middle of kind of like a power electronics retool, I would say, that will bring that functionality to our, all of our vehicles over the next, you know, two years, let's say. Um, but, but it's, it, yeah, I guess that's how I'll say there. I don't think very many people are going to use bi-directional charging unless you have a power wall because if you unplug your car, your house goes dark. And this is extremely inconvenient. Yeah, most of the value it comes in charging the car at the right time. It's not really about sending energy the other way. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you have a power wall um, that can take the house load, then you can use the, the, your car as, supple, as a supplementary energy source to the power wall, and then you know you're not going to drive everyone crazy by unplugging your car um, and having the house go off. So I think there's some value there as a supplemental energy source down the road, uh, where if you have a power wall, you've not uh, diminished the convenience of, of of the people in the house. And the question of num number of models. Sorry, the what? Oh, how many models? Oh, vehicle models. Uh, if, if not that many. Um, really, 10? I don't know. Not that many. Um, the, there's, I mean, what's happened with conventional cars is people have run out of things to do. So you run out of things to do, they just end up reshuffling the deck, and you have pretty much the same. I mean, how many variants of a car are there on the road? There's like hundreds. But they're, are, they, are they good variants? No, I, mostly not. They're just variants for the sake of variants. Um, and, but look at how, how is, have things converged with the phone. I mean, there used to be hundreds of flip phones. Now what, what do we have? It'll be like that. Well, there's a lot to unpack here in this clip from Drew and Elon. You know, to me, this might have been one of the most quote-unquote newsworthy chunks of the entire event. So, first of all, in my humble opinion, this almost definitely confirms vehicle-to-home, vehicle-to-grid charging, bi-directional charging for the Cybertruck. Because you heard Drew say that they're working on rolling that functionality out to everything. Now, we have to probably presume for now 
that he means everything new, not a retrofit, not a software update for the entire existing fleet over the next couple of years. Given the extremely utilitarian nature of the Cybertruck, plus what Franz said about this topic in my recent interview with him, I hate to keep bringing it up, but it, there, was some, there was some good kind of callbacks to that, but I would be stunned, stunned if the Cybertruck is not the first Tesla to support this feature. And I know that's gonna make a lot of you, my wife included, very happy. She is very excited about that possibility, that feature. And did any of you also get the sense that Elon wasn't too happy about supporting bi-directional charging? I mean, maybe I'm writing my own narrative here, but it sure sounded like he didn't want to do it because, as you heard, he doesn't think it's going to get used much. And maybe he just thinks it's not worth the time spent to create the feature, the engineering time spent on it. And if I'm if this narrative that I'm writing in my head right now is at all accurate, seemingly he got overruled by what must have been a, a pretty large swath of the engineering team to overwrite the boss like that. Now, if that's the case, I'll just say thank you, engineering team and anybody else responsible for going to bat for customers on this. The Cybertruck of all vehicles should have this feature. And it's a bonus that Tesla's solution is going to allow every Tesla built in the future to take advantage of it as well. Second, Elon's comment on the total number of models, he guesses 10. So we've got three SUVs, the full-size Model X, the mid-size crossover Model Y, and the compact SUV in the Gen 3. We've got three sedans, again, the full-size S, the mid-size 3, and the compact sedan and Generation 3 car. We've got the Cybertruck. Theoretically, we've still got the Roadster. So what are the other two going to be? A van, presumably? What could that last one be? Maybe a smaller truck? One that could work more in more places around the world since the Cybertruck is physically too large for many countries? Maybe a hot hatch that we've heard Elon and Tesla talk about before. Something that Europe would be a big, big fan of. I'd say the hot hatch is probably a pretty likely bet out of that. Uh, the last clip I've got for you is in regards to the supply chain. And Elon sort of talks about the, the challenges there and about the, the uh, importance of affordability. I mean, demand for our vehicles in terms of desire to own them may as well be infinite. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's indistinguishable from infinite at this point. Uh, so affordability is what matters. So as you make the car more affordable, uh, we will have demand go crazy, basically. Uh, the, the issue is how do we build the cars? The hard part is building the cars. I can't emphasize that enough. The hard part is building the cars and the entire supply chain that goes with the cars. Uh, this is a logistics challenge of extraordinary difficulty. Um, all the things that have to go into the car have to scale with the car, while everything is doing in an exponential ramp. And if you miss even one of those things, doesn't matter why, earthquake, flood, fire, revolution, I thought I've heard them all. Uh, I mean, uh, any part of that supply chain gets interrupted you're now, then you have a seizure. 
The hard part is building the cars by far and the supply chain that goes with it. I mean, do you guys want to talk about supply chain stuff? Uh, yeah. Well, they might. I think, you know, in the presentation I'd mentioned, um, <clears throat> perfection is a passing grade. We really need everything to happen perfectly, and the strategy for mitigating the different risks, some of which were anticipated and some weren't, is really bespoke to the situation. And and then really the uh, unique subject matter expertise and, and, and a deep knowledge of the particular supply chain you're managing to come up with those strategies. So we've we've seen everything from, as Elon mentioned, you know, first the, the tariffs that flew back and forth, then the ocean logistics issue, a chip shortage, uh, COVID, floods. There was a fire in a fab in Japan that knocked down. There was a massive uh, COVID spike in Malaysia where a lot of the chips, the back end of a lot of chips is, was down there in Moir. And this was one that Elon was involved with as well. And um, it, yeah, that's, it, it's nerve wracking, <laughs> but somehow it works. Yeah, and <clears throat> although it's difficult, I think we have been laying the foundation to be as intimate to our, all the tiers of the supply chain, uh, building that um, control and you know directing the, uh, the different tiers of supply chain. That's the way we are uh, trying to mitigate the risks that come with it. Um, you know, again, dual sourcing, triple sourcing, having redundancy uh, is the way we've been trying to mitigate for it. Yeah, on, on, on that point, when we think about vehicles, when you think about 3Y as an architecture, SX as an architecture, our next generation platform is more than one segment. And really, we're thinking about all the segments that are available that we haven't captured and where the market would be and designing it with our supply chain partners so that we can go quickly through those segments for where we need. But to Elon's point, um, if you make a car desirable and affordable, um, you know, oftentimes it, it doesn't necessarily matter what segment it's in because it's one that you want. And um, we've seen that with Model 3 when a lot of people thought the sedan was not going to be a great hit, but we sell tons of them. So um, the next generation platform is not one vehicle. It is, it is multiple, and it's on a segment um, that we will um, you know, really try and focus on that affordability and desirability point moreover than where we started. Yeah, I mean, there's like, I think you know, it's an old saying, like, battles are won with tactics, wars are won with logistics. Uh, the logistics challenges here are enormous. Um, and when you, you start like being a very significant percentage of an industry, uh, you can't overcapacitize. It's not realistic. Um, and some of these things, like you say, like, well, you dual source or triple source, you can do that maybe for small things, but you can't do it for big things because if you're, if you're triple sourced, and one of it's like having a, th a plane with three engines, where if uh, any of the three engines fails, you crash. <laughs> it's like, you know, so and you, you have to either overcapacitize, which drives your capex up, um, and has idle suppliers uh, somewhere and big warehouses, uh, or you design to some overage that's, you know, reasonable. Um, and then you have expedited costs because inevitably there's something goes wrong somewhere and you've got to fly things around. Um, so it's really just the, the, the rate of progress is the rate at which we are able to scale a uh, 10,000 logistics problems. Um, the most significant of those is the cell production. Um, <clears throat> and so we, we actually deliberately try to overdo 
uh, cell production or cell uh, supply um, to have that exceed what is needed in vehicles. Uh, because if, if it goes below what's needed in vehicles, then the, the factories stall. Um, so, but then what do you do with all these extra cells? It's like, well, okay, so the, the much easier thing to scale up and down is, is Powerwall and Megapack output stationary storage. So we, we can then overcapacitize in cells and packs um, and scale production of stationary storage, which is much easier to scale than vehicle production. So that's strategically, I think, a good thing. Um, yeah, I mean, the capex for Megapack is tiny compared to capex for vehicles. Um, and uh, also, Megapack demand is quasi-infinite. It, it basically, uh, as long as we are competitive with utilities, uh, we can sell as many Megapack. Like, it's, it's yeah, quasi-infinite demand for that, really. Um, or multi-tera, many terawatt hours. <laughs> and we've got a long way to go to get to many terawatt hours per year. I know that was another long clip, but I thought it was really informative as to how Tesla has to think about everything, right? From the biggest thing down to the smallest thing in order to try and scale up to the levels that it's aiming to at the speed it's aiming to. Also, we did hear confirmation of what we pretty well already knew for sure, and that's that the Generation 3 platform is more than one vehicle. It's gonna be at least a compact sedan, and a compact SUV, and again, maybe that hot hatch that I mentioned a moment ago as well. Well, that's everything I've got for you to sum up the Investor Day event. It was a lot. I've done my best to condense it and to just get it get it uh, way, way down for you and, and give you the best of it, and I hope you enjoyed it. By the way, I made this week's Patreon poll about Investor Day, and, and actually on that note, I do want to apologize to my Patreon backers. This week was so crazy. I was not expecting a three and a half hour event here. Uh, I, and I was busy with some work stuff. I just did not have the opportunity to get a, a lightning round bonus mini episode done. So I do apologize for that. And I will, of course, get back to that next week. But the Patreon poll this week, and the poll is open to everyone. You can vote on that at patreon.com slash Podcast. That's my Patreon page where you can go to support the show if you so choose. And I'm going to thank a couple of new, uh, new backers there coming up at the end of the show. But the poll question was a simple one this week. What was your favorite thing from Investor Day? I gave four choices plus a something else with an encouragement to leave a comment below. 37% of the votes said... Finally hearing Master Plan Part 3 was your favorite thing. Second place, 25% of the vote was seeing the near-final Cybertruck. 17% said the Giga Mexico announcement, including that it will build the Generation 3 platform. 8% uh, saying learning how many models that Tesla's planning to make. You just heard that, about 10 models, according to Elon and then 13% said something else. There was a lot of great commentary down here. Um, I'll just read a couple of them. Uh, Mike saying the continuous improvements made an efficiency, ecology, and overall attitude of always improving. Joe Edgel saying, hate to be negative, but was actually a bit underwhelmed. Badger Tails impressed by the 48-volt architecture, as was John. Uh, it's... 
you know, Marty, Marty Carrera saying the quote unquote problem Tesla has is that they're so far ahead of the curve from conventional thinking. Many perceive a lack of rolling out shiny new objects as underwhelming. Everyone complaining about how underwhelming all of this is will forget this day when they are amazed at how they are achieving ridiculous gross margins when literally all other manufacturers are either losing money or barely making margin on EVs. And this is not even addressing all of the other elements like FSD, Tesla bot energy, et cetera. And that got a few likes from his fellow patrons. So some good stuff, great comments, and as always from all of you there on uh, on the weekly Patreon poll. All right, uh, the stock, by the way, if you're just kind of curious, I mean, it was investor day. The stock was hit pretty hard the next day. It went down about six, 7% the following day. But then, and that was Thursday, but then Friday to close things out, it pretty well bumped back up. It was gained $6.89. Uh, so it gained most of that back to close out the week, closing at one ninety-seven seventy-nine. So uh, it does seem like the stock more often than not goes down the day after a Tesla event, whether it's a product unveiling, whether it's uh, a an event like this where it's more of a sort of technical showpiece and or whether it's a quarterly earnings call. But I always find that stuff interesting. All right, I'm not quite done with the podcast yet. Stick with me right after this. I'll be right back with your pro tip of the week and more. Hi, this is Franz von Holzhausen and you're listening to Ride the Lightning with Ryan McCaffrey, the Tesla unofficial podcast. Well, I'm already past the 75-minute mark of this episode, so in an effort to be respectful of your time, I'm going to skip the Ride the Lightning hotline this week. I've got plenty of your awesome phone calls all queued up and ready to go, but if you would like to react to something that you heard on the podcast, feel free to call in. I'll get to more calls next week. I promise you that. There is a lot of good, uh, a lot of good material out there to comment on just from, from this past week with the Investor Day. So there are two easy ways to call into the Ride the Lightning hotline. I, I welcome you to do so. I love hearing from you. You can either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question. Please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many people each week as possible. And then email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can take that same 90 second or less question and call in and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's a toll-free call. You can do it anytime, day or night, 24-7. It's there for you. The number is 1-888-989-TSLA. Again, that's 1-888-989-8752. All right. Uh, Well, as for me and what's going on with my car, I just ordered new tires for my Model 3 performance. I stuck with the same uh, Michelin Pilot Sport 4S's after having the privilege of talking to an actual Michelin tire engineer back at TeslaCon Florida, who was a sponsor of that event. They had a couple of of, uh, veteran Michelin guys there. So I kind of took some time uh, between presentations and chatted with them. And it's like, well, should I stick stick with the OEM or go with something else? And for after they asked me a couple questions, they recommended sticking with the, uh, the the OEM on that. And so all in with the mounting, balancing, installation, and the road hazard warranty, which is important around here because I seem to keep catching nails and things in my tires, it was just under two grand. 
They're not installed yet. My appointment's in a couple weeks, but I went ahead and ordered them because there was a $110 uh, coupon off of Michelin tires going. So I was like, all right. I went and had them measured at the tire shop and they were like, yep, we're, they're down to like two of them were at four thirty seconds and the other two were at three thirty seconds. So I was like, all right, it's time. We're still in rainy season. I want to make sure I have good grippy tr- tires with plenty of meat on them. The good news is this second set of tires lasted me way longer than my first set. I got 30,000 miles out of these, which some of you might be going, well, that, what do you mean? That's good for the, the 20 inch low profile summer tires. That is substantially better. The first set I was at 16 K and That's when, if you've been listening for a while, you may remember me talking about how I hit uh, this wicked, these two potholes that were like between the lanes, like in the the lane lines, and just hit them at just the right point on the freeway where it blew out both of my passenger side tires. And the other other two on the left were low enough that it was like, all right, let's just get, we're going to do four new tires here. But yeah, definitely... Doing way, way better on that second set. 30,000 miles, that's, uh, that's a lot more reasonable. So hopefully these will, will last just as long, if not longer, and, and avoid blowouts or uh, fatal road shrapnel. <laughs> I've got the road hazard warranty, that's good. But anyway, so yeah, I'll, I'll get those installed here in a couple of weeks from now. Uh, an entertainment recommendation for you this week. The Mandalorian is back on Disney+. Plus. I love that show. I, I adore the first two seasons, and I'm looking forward to diving into season three here. Hey, before I go, as always at this point of the show, let me give you a pro tip of the week. It's, uh, this week it comes from Judson in Claremont. Hey, Ryan, this is Judson in Claremont. I have a quick pro tip for you. Um, I'm a little embarrassed that it took me this long to figure this out, but I just figured it out. Um, I drive a lot. I'm a real estate agent and I use text message a lot and I also have a slight Southern drawl. So, uh, the computer has a little trouble understanding me. Uh, the double tap to retry thing that you see before you send a text message for literally the last year of having my car, I've been double tapping on the screen and it never worked. It, you know, first it would send it and I finally just gave up on that. It took me forever to figure this out. Um, double tap or double click the right scroll wheel and it will give you the chance to retry that text message rather than tapping on the screen like I have been trying to do for so long. So uh, to (laughs) briefly give that again, double tap the scroll wheel, not the screen to retry your voice to text message. Hope that helps. Judson, this is a good shout out. It's like how I only recently learned that you could in fact do split climate controls, dual zone climate controls for the driver and front passenger after four plus years of owning the car. Uh, I suspect there will be others who will find your tip useful. So thank you very much for calling in with it. And if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week that you'd like to share with me and your fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts, please call in and share it. And you call in the same way that I told you about a few minutes ago that you call into the regular Ride the Lightning hotline. Before I hit the road here, let me mention some friends of the podcast that can perhaps be of use to you. Starting with abstractocean.com, so many great aftermarket Tesla accessories, the rear footwell lighting kit, which is so nice in a Model Y, the drop-in cup holder stabilizers, 
the fourth generation tempered glass screen protectors, the Roadster style TESLA lettering that you can put on the back of your car. There's just so much neat stuff. You gotta go check it out for yourself at abstractocean.com. Use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTLPODCAST, no spaces in that. The snap plate, which you can get at everyamp.com slash RTL. That is the front license plate bracket to go with if you gotta put one on or wanna put one on. Don't use the one that Tesla gives you that sticks to the front of your car with automotive tape because if you ever need or want to take it off, it's gonna leave behind a very unpleasant automotive tape residue. Whereas if you ever wanna take the snap plate off, maybe you're detailing the car, maybe you're taking it to a cars and coffee car show, you can just take it off securely. But when it's on, it's on secure. When it's off, it's like it was never there. So get yours at everyamp.com slash RTL for all four Teslas currently in production. Check that out. Meanwhile, budgetsafesolar.com. If you have the slightest interest in installing solar on your home or business property, do not wait. Jump in. I mean, sure, you're probably going to give Tesla solar a look as I did, but if it, if like with me, it doesn't work out for you with Tesla, budgetsafesolar.com will take good care of you uh, because, you know, if the longer you wait, then you might end up with a situation where your neighborhood may have reached its circuit capacity and not be able to handle another customer supplying that aged infrastructure until repairs are completed who knows how long from now. So don't get shut out because you thought that that roof of yours had another year left in it. Visit them now at budgetsafesolar.com. If you do proceed with a solar installation for your home or business, please use the referral code RTL. Treat your car right to a spa day. It deserves it, and so do you. If you're in the greater San Francisco Bay Area or gonna be here with the car that you care about, whether it's your Tesla and or something else in your garage, go to Immaculate Reflections, and I promise you, you will leave happy. Your car will never look better. When you pick it up, you'll be like, is that my car? That was what I did. The paint correction, which I had done just cleans up the finish in a in really incredible way. Uh, so if you wanna do that, you can do that. If you wanna do paint protection film on the front of the car or all of the car or most of the car, go for it. Maybe you wanna do ceramic coating, which is just, you know, next generation wax. It's just, uh, that's it's a next gen version of waxing the car with the difference being it lasts three to five years, if not longer. I've got that on my car as well. So. If any of those are of interest to you, if a combination of them, all of them, Immaculate Reflections can help you out. Go to irdetailing.com to check out the website and to get in touch with Jeff, the owner and master detailer at Immaculate Reflections. And when you do reach out to schedule work with him, mention that you're a Ride the Lightning listener and he will offer you a nice little discount, which he's very kind to do for the Ride the Lightning audience. So thank you to Jeff. Uh, puretesla.com slash RTL, your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode setups, your micro SD based dash cam and sentry mode setups. 
Uh, micro SD is just gonna last longer. It's gonna be more reliable than USB flash memory. I definitely recommend it. The $49 128 gigabyte kit will last quite a darn while, longer than the, the USB flash memory that Tesla gives you with your car. And it ships free anywhere in the US. So 49 bucks free shipping anywhere in the US. Go to puretesla.com slash RTL to grab that. They also have a 256 gigabyte kit for $69. They also have nice slimline, like low profile wireless game controller kits as well if you do a lot of gaming in your Tesla. So don't miss it, puretesla.com slash RTL if any of that can be of use to you. Uh, I briefly mentioned my Patreon a few minutes ago, but my Patreon page can be found at patreon.com slash teslapodcast, Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And Patreon, if you've ever heard of Kickstarter, Patreon is similar, except instead of a one-time kickstart of one project, you are it is ongoing support of a creator that you enjoy. Hopefully, in this case, that creator being me would be the ideal scenario. There are, there are lots of great people on Patreon. But uh, yeah, the you can you can support this podcast again totally voluntarily. It's it's always gonna come out for you. It'll be free every Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. But if you do get a lot of enjoyment, a lot of information out of this podcast, I would humbly ask you at some point to consider backing me on Patreon. This is a listener-supported podcast. The support tiers start at just five bucks a month. And for five bucks a month, you can be helping me out and you can get yourself early access to each week's episode because each of the Patreon tiers has a different perk associated with them, but they all stack. So the higher you go up the Patreon support ladder, the more cool things you get, uh, including up at the maximum plaid tier that I'm, uh, you get your, your name shouted out each and every week at the end of the show, which I'm going to do here in just a minute. So the, uh, yeah, like I said, five bucks is where it starts just five bucks a month and you'll get early access to the show. 10 bucks a month, you'll get early access to the show and that weekly bonus lightning round mini episode that I do every week, except for this one. So again, my apologies there. Uh, so that's that that's Patreon. Hope you can, you can consider a pledge at some point in time. Follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. You can also at that same DMC underscore Ryan. That's my same handle for Instagram as well. If you'd like to follow me on either of those, my email address once again is teslapodcast at gmail.com. And with that, let me give the promised shout out to the Plaid Maximum Plaid and Roadster in Space tier backers. I'll start with the newest Maximum Plaid backers. Thank you so much to contact1callcenter.com as well as Jason Chalukas, who upgraded from the Plaid level tier that he'd been grandfathered in at and kindly supporting me at for a while. He upgraded to Maximum Plaid, so Jason, thank you so much for that. As I record here on late Friday, Saturday, which will be in the past for most of you when you hear this, we have the monthly Patreon Zoom Hangout, which is for anybody at the Maximum Plaid tier or higher, as well as anybody who makes a new or upgraded Patreon pledge. You get a one-time 
invite as a, as a thank you for that. So I'm looking forward to chatting with a bunch of you tomorrow on that. If you're in, if you're eligible to go and you can't make it or you're, you know, you, you can listen back to it later. I upload the audio to Patreon for you. So uh, check that out if you missed it, but want to want to take a listen at some point later. So uh, thank you to those two. And then the rest of the Maximum Plaid backers, thank you so much to Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Watley, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Maitsuaru, Derek Nesselrode, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Corey O'Donnell, Aaron, John Cody, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, We Drive Tesla EV Luxury Car Rental in Oahu, HaloBengals.com, Chris Pratt, Ken Epstein, Doug Carey, James Gregory, and Adam Lavoie. I should also mention right here, the Tesla Takeover. I think this is going to be the third annual one coming up the last weekend of July this year down in San Luis Obispo, kind of a eh, central-ish California, right? And kind of halfway, you know, roughly between LA and San Francisco. I uh, have been very graciously invited as a featured speaker, one of a number of featured speakers highlighted by Elon's mom, May Musk herself. Uh, also, Kim Java, a friend of mine, is going to be there. She's I haven't seen gotten to see her in quite a while, so looking forward to catching up with her and, and a number of other speakers and, and just everybody attending. So I'm sure it'll be a number of you there. Please find me. Please say hello. Uh, I haven't decided what I'm going to talk about yet. I, did, I have one idea in my head, uh, but I, I've got plenty of time to think about it, so I'm looking forward to that coming up in July. Just uh, I don't know if the website is... Tesla takeover. I didn't think to, I didn't have this in my notes. I'm just riffing it off the cuff here. Just Google Tesla takeover. It's put on by the Tesla owners club of San, uh, pardon me, of Silicon Valley. Although I imagine it's probably a group effort with the San Joaquin Valley folks, uh, maybe the East Bay folks, maybe even some Southern California groups as well. Anyway, it's going to be a huge event. I think they had 2000 people there last year. I know a number of you went uh, a number of you had asked me, are you going to be there? And I couldn't make it last year. We had a family trip, but uh, I will. I am planning to be there this year, and they've kindly invited me to speak, which I appreciate. I want to thank the Plaid-level supporters who are grandfathered in to that otherwise discontinued uh, backing tier on Patreon. Thank you very much for your continued support. George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, the Tesla Owners Club of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peak, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, the Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Ish, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, 
and the Bear Boys of Colorado. And finally, an extra big thank you to the Roadster in Space tier backers. On top of every other perk they get, should they elect it each month, a one-on-one Zoom hangout with me. And I had a nice chat this week with Lawton from Chicago. I always love chatting with him. He is just a wonderful, generous, kind-hearted person who loves Tesla. And it's always fun to talk about, about Tesla and about life with Lawton. So thank you, Lawton from Chicago, along with Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Ayacaveto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, and Kara Weston. And that will bring me to the end of a, of a pretty long episode here, episode 396. Not a surprise after it ended up being such a long Investor Day event. I, again, I boiled it down for you as best I could, wanting to try and be respectful of your time while still giving you complete coverage of the event. You know, these, these episodes, they are a little stressful to put together because Tesla tends to do these things on Wednesdays, which, granted, it could be worse. It could be Thursday or Friday, and I record on Friday nights, but it is kind of a sprint. Normally, I work on the podcast all week, I just work on it, you know, for however long it takes each night to say, stay caught up with everything and, and listen to all the phone calls, take all my notes on all the, you know, happenings in the Tesla world. And and with uh, with these, with the event weeks, usually I'm kind of stuck twiddling my thumbs a little bit on Monday, Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, it's like, all right, time to sprint. We got to go. And, uh, and hopefully... Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. I think it, I feel like it turned out okay. I mean, I, I always, I still, I worry that it's like a eh, three and a half hour event that I didn't give you enough that I didn't, I don't know, hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed it. But in any case, uh, I want to say thank you to all of you who were kind enough to to spend an hour and a half plus of your, of your week here listening to this podcast. In this case, this was a long episode. Thank you so much to all of you. Happy electric motoring. And I'll see you back here next week, same time as always, Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. I mean, I think a Tesla... It's the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.